Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Super Duper Stitches. <clears throat> the paranormal podcast. With science-y-ness happening to and, it. And uh, creepy stories. And Wyatt. And Jake. And we're here again. We're finally back after... Thanksgiving. We took a uh, a gap week. Um, sometimes, you know, after you've had a good uh, run of of eight episodes of of a podcast, you want to take a gap week, kind of you know explore. You're just like fuck so, this. Sometimes, I'm done. sometimes people go like you know they go backpacking through Europe and stuff, find themselves before they continue on from there. And sometimes, sometimes we just have shit to do, guys. You just you're just busy as hell. Ain't got time for those awesome spooks. Yeah. But now we do. Yep. So we're gonna keep on keeping on. Oh hell yeah! Starting tonight, um, boy, I forgot how to do this. We That's really shouldn't take it. We always forget. We, we stop knowing what we're doing every single time we stop right. recording, and have to learn all over again every yeah. time. Pretty much when we stop recording, we both shut down like <laughs> scary androids, <laughs> and uh, someone flips a switch and let me do this again. Yep, but we have no memory. I think the prompt this week was. I, I can't remember uh, how I worded it before. Um, like evil beings? Yeah, supernatural entities with ill intent or something like that. I uh, I guess I'm kicking off. I have for you today the story of Annabelle the Doll. Mm, that, so that's a movie, right? It just was recently there, a movie? There is, yes. As I understand it, there is a movie that was recently made, if not being made now as well. I think there's like a follow-up. Or okay. maybe I'm... A sequel, super wrong. A sequel, yes. <laughs> a follow-up movie. <laughs> the directors are like, we realized that there were some loose ends, and uh, <laughs> we're now going to follow it up. All right, so, Jake, you probably know what a Raggedy Ann doll is, mm-hmm. if I mentioned that by name. Weren't those racist in some way? Um, I don't really know. I don't think so. Raggedy Ann and Andy. Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy. Like they're like brother and sister or something. I okay. feel like I heard some recent thing about like their origin being kind of messed up. Yeah. Weird, yeah. I say that's true on. of most old things. Yeah, that's so. true. <laughs> um, they were popular back at like the turn of the century, pretty much like early 1900s. You got to think of a doll. If you're not familiar with these, they're maybe two and a half feet high. Pretty sizable doll, but relatively simple, you know, sort of stuffed fabric um, for the Raggedy Ann doll girl with like a mop of red hair and sort of a simple smiley face for the face so it's like red yarn for hair red right? yarn yeah, yeah exactly so they're really really like they're not kind of like a, the creepy porcelain dolls they're right more of a kind they're of pretty pretty cute actually they're yeah. not the creepiest looking doll in the realm of dolls but um sort the of valley of the dolls. the valley of the dolls <laughs> the doll of man they you can think of like pippy long stockings in doll form yeah our story starts in the 1970s where these were already kind of antiques by that point yeah um, a woman buys a, an old Raggedy Ann doll for her daughter, Donna, who was a nursing student at the time, and I feel like that's a weird gift <laughs> for... That seems pretty late. Or she was a really, really precocious kid. She who... was, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're the first eight-year-old nurse in American history. Eat your heart out, Doogie Hauser. <laughs> yeah. And you have an MD, PhD in neural quantum mechanics. But so the story goes, she gives Donna this thing, and Donna's happy to have it for some reason. <laughs> and she keeps it in her apartment, which she shares with another nursing student, Angie. Um, it was not long, however, before Donna began noticing odd things about the doll. So from time to time, Donna would notice that the toy seemed to change position slightly. Mm. But she naturally wrote this off as a byproduct of her own activities around the apartment. So, you know, it'd, like, be on the bed, and, you know, maybe she, like, moved the sheets or something, and that's what caused the doll to stand up with a knife in its hands. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, she's writing this stuff off, but then things get a little weirder. So, for instance, one evening, Donna and Angie return to their apartment to find that the doll was standing upright and leaning against a chair in the dining room mm-hmm. as if it had been had frozen mid-step. Oh, God. Um, right, when it heard the door open. So it's like just standing there in your kitchen, if you can imagine, leaned against something. Kind of weird. Yeah. A little unnerving. Mm-hmm. Um, Donna would later describe the situation to paranormal investigators. A lot of quotes in this story, which I kind of like. Um, I put it on my bed each morning after the bed was made this is her actual voice too uh the arms (laughs) would be off to its sides and its legs would be straight out just like it's sitting there now 
but when we'd come home at night, the arms and legs would be positioned in different gestures. For instance, its legs would be crossed at the ankles or its arms would be folded in its lap. Um, after a week or so, this made us suspicious. So to test it, I purposely crossed its arms and legs in the morning to see if it really was moving. And sure enough, every night when we'd come back home, the arms and legs would be uncrossed and the thing would be sitting there in any number of um, different postures. Interesting. You know, we're talking like yoga postures. Yeah, <laughs> <a bunch> of <laughs> different. Cirque du Soleil. Um, so at times, Donna would leave the doll on the bed only to find that it had mysteriously migrated to the living room and was now sitting on the couch mm. <laughs> watching Netflix. <laughs> 70s Netflix, though. So. Yes. With arms and legs crossed. In other instances, Donna would leave the doll on the couch only to later discover that it was now in her bedroom with the door latched shut. What? Um, as from the inside? From the inside. <laughs> As described by Donna's roommate, Angie, the doll also changed rooms by itself. We came home one night, and the Annabelle doll was sitting in a chair by the front door. It was kneeling. The funny thing about it was, when we tried to make the doll kneel, it would just fall over. It couldn't kneel. (laughs) Thanks for that, Angie. We got that from your last sentence. (laughs) Uh, Other times, we'd find it sitting on the sofa, although when we'd left the apartment in the morning, it'd be in Donna's room with the door closed. So... That's pretty creepy. Creepy stuff. Hmm. Um, I'm still thinking, just picturing back to the first time they came in and found it. It seemed like it was kind of posed mid-step. Yeah, right. Um, I'm trying to think of what's creepier. Seeing it looking like it kind of froze as soon as the door opened, or if it just like you open the door and it just suddenly like went limp and fell down. So as you're opening the door, it just falls to the ground. Oh man, that would <laughs> be, be so much worse. Much worse. It's true. <laughs> I honestly, I couldn't decide actually, or I can't decide right now if I just put something anything anywhere and then came home assuming the apartment you know under the guise of the apartment being completely unoccupied in that amount of time Mm. or that span of time and found anything anywhere else i would be weirded out yeah part of me also wonders if i remember where things work for the most part yeah for real i guess this was here (laughs) as the girls become increasingly disturbed they confide in a male friend of theirs um, who's later given the pseudonym, I think, of Lou, to hopefully get some help. Lou claims to have felt something horrible about the doll uh, from the get-go. So as soon as he mm. sees it, he's like, something's wrong with that thing. Yeah. And shortly after they've confided in him, the girls find notes around the apartment written in a childlike scrawl. Uh. And the notes read, help us or help Lou. Hmm. Um, despite Lou not being in any kind of jeopardy at the time is kind of weird, but these yeah. notes are like showing up and, uh, apparently they were written in pencil on parchment, parchment on parchment paper. Where the hell does they want to get parchment? And that's part of the mystery too. Cause Donna and Angie like tear their apartment apart and they find, apparently they didn't have pencils. <laughs> so the story goes, they had no pencils. They had a ton of parchment. Though. Yeah. They had a shitload of parchment. <laughs> the parchment wasn't the weird parts. These, pensiles that we were <laughs> told this was written in um but yeah obviously no parchment either so lou becomes convinced that the notes are from the doll but um donna and her roommate angie as women of science um suspect that uh, someone they knew may have been trying to pull off an, an elaborate hoax right mm. someone who did a lot of baking or something <laughs> yeah exactly um the girls booby trap their apartment so they put marks on the windows, carpets against the doors to reveal intruders. Trip wires with, attached to uh, Hot mortars. Hot stuff. <laughs> Marbles, uh, you know. Claymore. Claymores. Um, but to no avail. So weird things continue to happen with no evidence of someone obviously trespassing. Hmm. So despite this, though, the roommates take kind of a weird solace in the fact that while they may have some kind of living doll <laughs> in their home, that would never calm me down at all. I'd be no. like, I'm going to throw this doll away now. I'm yeah. done. That's actually one of my major beefs with this whole story is like, why didn't you just fucking burn this thing in a garbage can and be yeah. done with it? Like, holy moly. But anyway, they kind of take a shine to it and um, its antics appear to be relatively benign. Um, in fact, according to Donna, 
the uh, that Christmas, Annabelle even seemed to offer them a little present. They catch a mouse or something. Yeah. <laughs> A dead baby showed up in our apartment. We just figured it was Annabelle's. Um, they find a little chocolate boot on their stereo that neither of them had bought. Chocolate boot. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, it fit, and so we wore it until it fell apart. <laughs> um, but that's about as nice as it got. So less than two months after the bizarre events began, again, two months of living with this, my goodness, Donna and Angie return home after a long day. By this point, uh, neither of the women were particularly surprised to find that the doll had managed to make its way from the living room back into Donna's bed. But this time, Donna claimed that she suddenly was struck by a feeling that something was wrong Mm. and that the doll seemed to have an ominous aura about it. Because nothing seemed wrong up until now when it was just hanging out, moving around, right weird. I mean, the messages were ominous enough. Yeah, help us, help Lou. Mm, Great. It's like, oh, look at you go. Yeah, right. (laughs) Good good writing there, Annabelle. Doll. (laughs) So, hesitantly, the women approached the doll, and that was when they noticed that the doll was oozing blood from its hands and chest. Jesus Christ. Angie describes the scene. The doll was sitting on Donna's bed as was usual. When we came home one night, there was blood on the back of its hand, and there were three drops of blood on its chest. So the right, girls so oozing is kind of an exaggeration. Oozing, case, yeah, for real. It's, it's just like a, a high pressure stream just, yeah, just blasting out. out. <laughs> we knew something was wrong when we heard blood splashing against the door from within the bedroom. Um, Evil Dead <clears throat> Two style. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so they call in a medium who, in a trance state, um, tells this sad story of a young girl named Annabelle Higgins, whose body was discovered, purportedly, in in the field upon which their apartment had been built. Hmm. So, according to Donna, because everyone around here was grown up and only concerned with their jobs, there was no one uh, she, Annabelle, could relate to except us, as (laughs) eight-year-old nurses. (laughs) Um... So, right, except us. Uh, Annabelle felt that we would be able to understand her. That's why she began moving the rag doll itself. Um, all Annabelle wanted was to be loved. And so she asked if she could stay with us and move into the doll. So what what could we do? We said yes. So Angie continues, or An- this is Angie now. Um, it seemed heartless enough, or harmless enough. It seemed heartless enough. <laughs> <laughs> Crass nurses as we were. Um, no, harmless enough. Uh, we're nurses, you know. We see suffering every day. We had compassion. Anyway, we called the doll Annabelle from that time on. So... Okay, I was going to ask before you kept referring to it as Annabelle. I didn't remember them. So that's, that's how it got its name. They that's, from, that's how it got its name, gotcha. yeah. A lot of the story is being recounted down the road after the fact. Cool. Lou, however, maintained that he sensed something dangerous about the doll and um, continuously asked them to get rid of it. I'm with Lou on this. Um, Donna refuses his requests and um, feels like, by this point, getting rid of the doll would be like throwing out a child. You know what I mean? She's like bought into this Annabelle story now. I guess I could see, yeah, if you believe that it's actually a, a, like the ghost of a child, then it makes right. sense that, it, I mean, the child's already feeling sad and wants to be included burning the doll or throwing it out. It's going to yeah, make that like, worse. Hey, man, we're not going to do that. This is, you know, we heard through a medium that this thing is what it is. I just keep coming is. back to the help Lou, help us, help Lou. Like, that's, that doesn't, isn't explained by it being a child's ghost. No, indeed. Unless, <clears throat> here's just some from the hip stuff. Help us could be the child just wanting help as like an abandoned lonely soul. Using the royal us. The royal us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And help Lou as in, I can tell Lou doesn't like me, help him to understand okay. that I'm a just a sweet little child. That occasionally just oozes blood. Yeah. <laughs> I fell down. I am fine. <laughs> this is not evil. This is not bad. Do not. <laughs> or like um, from uh, Ar- uh, Arrested Development, The Weird Uncle played by uh, Martin Short. Oh, oh yeah. When, um, when he gets like shaken and he like spits up some fluid or something and he's like ignore ignore it's <laughs> what the body does when you shake it uh lou is really persistent about getting rid of the doll and uh apparently annabelle was not happy about this mm-hmm. so lou awakes one night from a deep sleep and in a panic and uh he had 
just awakened from this recurring bad dream that he was having. Only this time, somehow, something seemed different. It was as though he was awake but couldn't move. Night terror, it sounds mm. like. Sleep paralysis. <clears throat> In Lou's own words, While I was lying there, I saw myself wake up. Something seemed wrong to me. I looked around the room, but nothing was out of place. But then, when I looked down toward my feet, I saw the rag doll Annabelle. It was slowly gliding up my body. <laughs> it moved over my chest and stopped. Then it put its arms out. One arm touched one side of my neck, the other touched the other side like it was making an electrical connection. Then I saw myself being strangled. I might as well have been pushing on a wall because it didn't move. It was literally strangling me to death. I couldn't help myself, no matter how hard I tried. Jeez. So Lou blacks out, but awake, wakes up the next morning and was certain that it wasn't a dream. Um, and he's now all the more determined mm. to get rid of this sweet, sweet little doll. <laughs> <laughs> so the following evening, the very next day, uh, while preparing for a road trip, Lou and Angie are in the apartment alone studying maps in the living room just before 11 p.m. Without warning, the pair hear an odd shuffling sound emanating from Donna's room. Mm -hmm. uh, Angie was concerned that someone might have broken into the apartment, um, so Lou gets up to, like, be Mr. Tough Guy. <laughs> Lou goes to the room and waits outside until the sounds, like, pause, and then slowly opens the door and flips on the light. The room was empty, except for Annabelle. Of course. Which seemed to have been haphazardly thrown into the corner. Lou approaches the crumpled rag doll, and it was then that he claimed to have felt a tingling sensation on the back of his neck, mm -hmm. as if he was being watched from behind. Hmm. Um, Lou explained the feeling later in an interview with paranormal investigators. But as I got close to the doll, I got the distinct impression that somebody was behind me. I swung around instantly and, well... And at this point, Angie interjects. He won't talk about that part. Uh, when Lou turned around, there wasn't anybody there, but he suddenly yelled and grabbed for his chest. He was doubled over, cut and bleeding when I got to him. Blood was all over his shirt. Hmm. Lou was shaking and scared, and he went back out into the living room. Um, we then opened his shirt, and there on his chest was what looked like uh, was what looked to be a, a sort of claw mark. Hmm. So, <clears throat> apparently, he had something like four along like laterally and then three down huh. right on his chest. Wow. And they like were hot to the touch and like burned him as well. Wow. And, but they like purportedly healed very rapidly too. And like in just a couple days were gone. Okay. Yeah. Right. So not sure where else to turn. The trio now decide to contact someone in the clergy, which is what you do in the 70s. Yes. They are eventually put in touch with Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are the paranormal oh, investigators. Oh, those people. Yeah, right on. God, sorry. Yep. No, no. You're, uh, yeah. Who are also, for you guys at home, part of the Amityville Horror Investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of the Conjuring <laughs> movies, those are all based on stories of them, too. Right. So they were the biggest con artists. Oh my god! And that is very much kind of jumping the gun on where I'm gonna okay, end so, in some sense. Right, so I just <laughs> Damn keep, it, Jake! I hear the warrants. I just get pissed off. I know. <laughs> Should have a warrant warning. Um, <laughs> so Ed scolds the three for being so trusting of the doll and uh, suggests that the doll was being used not by a ghost but by an actual demon mm -hmm. as a kind of conduit between realms. So they call in an Episcopal priest named Father Cook to perform, do you want to guess? An exorcism? An exorcism of the doll and the apartment. Um, I guess it was relatively mundane. The doll doesn't do anything crazy or anything happen. But he gets through it and declares the demon banished. Um, but no one is fully convinced. And even the priest himself was like you know just be careful it might not have worked <laughs> there's banished well done bye guys right and it's at this point that and lorraine purportedly still doubtful as well um suggests that they remove the doll from the apartment just to get it out of there out of donna and angie's lives and lose life as yeah. well and it's at this point that i officially kind of start to cash in my chips as far as believing the story at all. Right. I mean, even things before this sound a bit. 
Yeah, there's. I mean, the beginning Incredible. stages where it's subtler. It's like uh, it's kind of like you know, something weird's happening, but it's not necessarily right. supernatural. Not necessarily something like it, it. But as it gets more, more and more, um, Warrenized. Yes. Yeah, because like their choice. To, so here, I'll just go on. They decide to take it away, which I'm like, great. Let's get that thing out of there, right? Yeah. But they decide to take it home with them, <laughs> and I'm like, why the fuck would you do that why would you hold on to this thing so according to the warrens on their drive home with the doll in the car whenever they approached a sharp curve their vehicle would inevitably stall causing the brakes and power steering to fail simultaneously they also had more than one near collision with a passing car on the way back Mm. um i don't yeah again don't know why they would take it home instead of just destroying it if you had any doubts why wouldn't you just be like let's burn this fucker yeah I have a lot of reasons in my head why they personally would do it, but we'll get there. Yeah, exactly, right? No, well said. So, once they get the doll home, for some reason, Ed just keeps it out. He, like, puts it on a chair. And it's not long before Annabelle's back to her antics, uh, moving around and doing weird shit when no one's looking. So, the Warrens call in a Catholic priest named Father Jason Bradford which like, oh, like we chose the wrong sex yeah That's exactly what was wrong before I was I like too that it's like it's two steps into a good joke right here you got <laughs> yeah. Episcopal priest a Catholic priest <laughs> and what a rabbi is gonna be the so, one to yeah. get it done you know like come on guys um and also Jason Bradford just sounds almost like you know I don't know Chip Johnson or <laughs> like some fucking fake name Chuck um, Stuntman yeah <laughs> or uh who no, I can't steal their fake porno name. It's probably not even original to them, but maybe not. Kurt Thrust. <laughs> I'm not familiar with them, but I like it. There you go. You can use that one on hard times. <laughs> um, Catholic priest, Father Jason Bradford, who apparently thought this was all some kind of joke, and according to reports of the encounter, um, when he gets there, he brashly approaches the inert doll, rips it up from its seat, and screams... You're just a rag doll, Annabelle. You can't hurt anyone. <laughs> You'll never amount to anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, at which point he throws it back down on the chair. And Lorraine and Ed Warren are really freaked out. And they're like, please be careful. You shouldn't have done that. Like, you know, this is going to go badly for you now. Be careful while driving home. And please call when you get back to the rectory. So the call purportedly you doesn't hear me over the... Uh microphone but i'm rolling my eyes yeah his eye i'm surprised people didn't hear that his <laughs> very audibly <laughs> roll uh the call doesn't come till late that evening when the audibly shaken priest tells lorraine that his brakes had given out just as he had approached a hectic intersection mm-hmm. um his car was demolished and he and others involved barely survived the accident or so they say and it was then and for some reason only then that the Warrens decide that Annabelle was simply too dangerous <laughs> to be exposed anymore. And they built this specially sealed glass case, um, which uh, is plastered with the sign, Warning, positively, do not open. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also reason, picturing it with a hammer on the side in case of an yeah. emergency. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the hammer's also cursed somehow. Um... And the doll is still in that case to this day. Hmm. They lock it away for a while, but eventually use it as the centerpiece to their occult museum, which I believe can still be visited. Okay. And so even though she's locked in her little box there, Annabelle has still been associated with weird and tragic things to this day. Okay. Uh, More specifically now affecting like visitors to the museum. There's one story of this like biker bro and his girlfriend who show up and he like pounds on the case and is like oh i dare you to scratch me annabelle and ed like ushers him quickly out like dude you shouldn't have done that you gotta hit the road now and apparently there's no factual anything to back this up (laughs) but it's like one of those you know stories that just gets told and perpetuated through media like this (laughs) (laughs) where he's driving back with his girlfriend and crashes his bike and dies like immediately Hmm. but the girlfriend like survives after a year of hospitalization and no one can ever fully explain it so what was it i think it's a whole bunch of hokum yeah it's a lot of hokum yeah once you get the warrens involved it's like okay (laughs) 
I'm fully checked out of the story. Yeah, exactly. I was just thinking how many fucking stories of theirs have been made into movies now. Right. That's their whole thing is like they'll come in and then they'll make a book out of it. They'll make a movie out of it. They'll make so much money off of people who were having a hard time. That's their whole their whole shtick is just coming in and say, oh, yeah, there's some serious, terrible, evil activity happening here. We're going to connect and... And then privately, they say they think that all their clients are nuts. They think they're just like really? idiots. And are you kidding me? No, that's what they, they say that all oh, wow. these people are crazy. I don't know what the hell they're talking about. Well, yeah, they're, they're just terrible people. Man, I did not know that. Apparently, uh, it's Ed, right? Ed Warren. Ed Warren. Yeah, yeah. he's passed away though. Yeah, they, is she still alive? She is. She's I guess like if ninety. They're still making movies, then she must still be alive because she'll be trying to get every fucking penny out of the stuff that they do um ed are you listening warrens and, yeah, <laughs> fuck you seriously ed would like uh actually like threaten and intimidate people who really questioned, questioned their um wow. validity on stuff those guys uh yeah the uh, who was it? it was not the um not the amityville horror it was the haunting in connecticut whatever that story was oh. about. i can't remember what there's mm. a movie or a book or whatever it was but it was about some hauntings in connecticut they will just outright make up backstories for places and stuff like um so with the Amityville horror there were some actual murders that happened in the house like several this one mm-hmm. guy went nuts and shot up his whole family Ew. um i think he's still in jail to this day mm-hmm. but um and then afterward a different family moved in and felt like there was a haunting there the the warrens came in and then they ended up creating this whole backstory of oh no there's like this there's some kind of dem- like several demonic presences in this house and mm-hmm. that was um and it helped with uh guy's story who the murderer he's like oh yeah yeah no totally i was um it was demons who told me yeah, to do that so right and then they're not at fault anymore yeah so like all this dumb stuff and like they um yeah everything about the amityville horror that's actually scary other than the scariness of someone killing their family that's scary and that's very really terrifying yeah as it is jesus but everything from there on is all fabricated by the warrens and uh to make money oh my god that makes a lot of sense to me because that's where the story yeah again really went off the rails they're I called mean, in they're like oh yeah no, this is bad we're oh, gonna we're bad. gonna take this doll away we're gonna keep it though so, yeah, we're gonna because it's the centerpiece of their museum so oh, they yeah they, totally. as soon as they knew like oh creepy stories about this yeah we could definitely definitely Let's make this use this much scarier and they take it with them right um claim on the way that oh, stuff happened to us on trying to get home it was really dangerous <laughs> i didn't i didn't add they were like obsessed with demon shit too like I didn't add this factoid in, factoid, well, detail of the story, I should say, but apparently on the drive home, they finally got so frustrated with Annabelle doing this stuff in their car that they dug out this vial of uh, holy water (laughs) and splashed her with it, and then she was fine for the rest of the drive. Sure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, it's very uh, bullshit through and through. Meanwhile, with Donna and Angie's story, I mean... I don't doubt that maybe weird stuff was happening and they didn't know how to explain it. Oh, yeah. They were kid nurses. They, they Yeah, they were shit. just eight years old. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> they have no reason to make this stuff up. Right. But, yeah, I mean, even as young adults or, you know, probably in their early 20s, I would guess. Yeah. Um, you know, weird, spooky stuff can happen. Don't know how to explain it. Dolls are easily creepy without even anything strange happening. So. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious when you're talking about it. So the movie Annabelle is one of the creepy like porcelain style dolls. Mm-hmm. They really make that. her spooky. Where that image right there, the second row, that there cute one. Yes. Okay. That's yeah, that's your Raggedy Ann. Look <laughs> yes. at that. The actual Raggedy <laughs> Ann side by side with Annabelle from the movie. It's like oh, you have this extremely like very stylized, super sweet looking, just like cloth doll. Clearly made to appeal to children. Oh yeah. Clearly like this, harmless. A geometric looking. triangle for a nose. And right. Like big old eyes and just like not looking at all like an actual human. Looking just like the most sweet. Like I keep Goofy saying, stylized, cartoonish doll. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then you have this really, really like <laughs> super like ghoulish um, <laughs> fucking <yes>. like <laughs> Michael Jackson on a really horrible day. <laughs> With the lighting just so it's all just shadowed underneath. Yeah. Like um, the kind of doll that you could never, ever not think is evil. Exactly. There's no circumstance under which this doll wouldn't be thought of as just extremely demonic. No no self-respecting sane parent would ever come within five feet of this doll. Yes. Unless they were preparing to incinerate it or smash it apart for some reason. Let alone sell it or sell it to their child. <laughs> sell it to the- you want this freaky ass doll? It's gonna cost you some money, Timmy. What do you mean you're not making 
$200 a week. <laughs> so that's the story behind Annabelle. Well, there now I almost want to... I, nah, I don't want to watch the movie. It looks dumb. But yeah. I, say, I almost want to. I'm curious like what how what the um, the cinematic treatment of that story is. I kind of want to watch it. Cool. Let's watch that it. Be, yeah, okay. Let's do that. Let's do it. I'm afraid I'm going to get scared by it, though. <laughs> well, that's the, here's a fun fact about <laughs> me and Wyatt that I can't remember if we've actually mentioned on the podcast prior to this we love talking about spooky stories we love all this creepy stuff we are so easily scared <laughs> i'm scared <laughs> <laughs> we've watched uh, at least at least i can't remember how many horror movies we've watched together certainly the witch the witch was good it was good it was pretty scary it was spooky though yeah it's true um and yeah watching movies and like i i don't watch between my fingers but i will conveniently like tilt my head such that if a scary scene is coming up i'm looking over my glasses so it will be out of focus i will often have <laughs> out of focus yeah it's, it's that's a pretty good as, technique oh yeah it's, it's subtle it's easier that's to hide that's a good one yeah hmm. <laughs> <laughs> next time i watch you scrutinizing the screen over your <laughs> yes. frames recall that i'm nearsighted and that doesn't work that way <laughs> But yeah, so there you go, Annabelle. Good stuff, Annabelle. Where, uh, um, where was, what was your source for that one? Oh my goodness, Mysterious Universe. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah, yeah, Mysterious Universe. Thanks, and, uh, Mysterious Universe. Thank you, Mysterious Universe. I will have the link for you, Jake. And the, I, it was like some of that was this other guy's text that I was reading as well. Cool. So, but some of it was my own. We will link to those yes. for your convenience. Alrighty. Well, I chose instead of a specific story. I mean, I, I have one specific story, which may be the origin story, but um, it's a kind of like class of uh, entities that mm. I want to talk about. Okie doke. So, um, the first reported encounter with the entities in question, at least the encounter that really got things going, as well as the first one I ever heard, uh, occurred in 1996. Okay. Um. So we're talking millennials then. Yes. We're talking uh, chupacabra, um, <laughs> chupacabra like origin story time. Yeah, here we uh, go. Right. No, but um, I first heard the story along with many others on Monsters and Mysteries in America in 2012. The episode dealt with stories of the Badlands, which is kind mm. of dumb because this particular story takes place in Texas. Okay. Which is not the Badlands. No, indeed. Um, Badlands are fairly north of there. If I'm they're not in the Dakotas, Al- yeah. Oh, okay. Dakotas. Al- Alberta as well, or is that? I think it extends up there. Yeah, okay. it's a good place to find dinosaurs. That's where skeletons. I'm digging from. Yeah, oh, it. no yeah. pun intended. Oh actually. god, um, oh god, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> the producers, I guess, just like the story a lot and wanted to fold it into the narrative they're trying to tell. Mm-hmm. I don't like they're just like, trying to talk about weird things that have happened in the Badlands, like on the highways and mm-hmm. and byways of America. <laughs> What's a byway? A I've byway? never heard it ex- ever referred to except in in conjunction with a highway. It goes across the highway okay so it's very dangerous but it'll get you where you need to go i'm just kidding i don't know what it is all right at any rate this story comes from reporter brian bethel um he first told people of his encounter on a quote ghost related mailing list in the early day early days of the internet Hmm. there weren't many or there weren't just forums for everything like there are now um, Ghost-related mailing list. Yes, like <laughs> mailing list with friends of his who were into the kind of stuff you and I Would are you like into. To receive more emails about ghosts. <laughs> yeah, just like an, a, a kind of a mailing list of friends of his, like a list of contacts. I'm assuming of people who are into we're the kind of stuff you and that. I like. And just that's yeah. cool. It's like sort of proto this in a way. I guess. Yeah. Since stuff that old is long since lost to time, old, really old websites and things like right, that. Right, right. Um, I found his later retelling of the story, not from the TV show Monsters and Mysteries in America, but uh, later on in the newspaper he works for. Okay. Um, linked in the in the in the show links. So here is that story in his word. This is all going to be quoted from his writing. Cool. I got down to the former site of Camelot Communications, one of the area's original internet providers, to pay my bill. At the time, Camelot was located on North 1st Street, near the movie theater, in the shadow of what is now Chase, then Bank 1. I was using the light of the theater's marquee to write out my check, which I planned to put in Camelot's night drop slot. Involved in my work, I never heard them approach. There was a mm. knock on my driver's side window. Two young boys, somewhere between 9 to 12 years old and dressed in hooded pullovers, stood outside. Mm-hmm. I cracked the window a bit, anticipating a spiel for money. But I was immediately gripped by an incomprehensible, soul-wracking fear. Mm. I had no idea why. A conversation ensued between one boy, a somewhat suave, olive-skinned, curly-headed young man, and myself. Mm. The other, a red-headed, pale-skinned, freckled young man, stayed in the background. 
the spokesman, as I've come to call him, uh, told me that he and his companion needed a ride. They wanted to see a movie, Mortal Kombat, but they had left their money at their mother's house. Hmm. Could I give them a ride? Uh, plausible enough. But all throughout this exchange, the irrational fear continued and grew. Hmm. I had no reason to be frightened of these two boys, but I was. Hmm. Terribly. After a bit more conversation, I looked up at the theater marquee and down at the digital clock display in my car. Mortal Kombat's last show of the night had already started. By the time I could have driven the boys anywhere and back, it would practically have been over. All the while, hmm. the spokesman uttered assurances. It wouldn't take long. They were just two little kids. They didn't have a gun or anything. Huh. That last part was a bit unnerving. I noticed that my hand had strayed toward the lock on my door. I pulled it away, perhaps a bit too violently. In the short time I had broken the gaze of the spokesman, something had, um, something had changed, and my mind exploded in a vortex of all-consuming terror. Both boys stared at me with coal-black eyes. Ooh. The sort of eyes one sees these days on aliens or bargain-basement vampires on late-night television. Soulless orbs like two great swaths of starless night. I did what I feel any rational person would do. I full-on freaked out inside my car while trying to appear completely sane and calm. I apologized to the kids. I made whatever excuses came to mind. All of them designed to get me t- um, the hell out of there. Mm-hmm. Fast. The aura of fear was now a palpable black hanging thing, almost as if reality itself was warping around me. I wrapped my hand around the gear shift, threw the car into reverse, and began to roll up the window, apologizing all the while. My fear must have been evident. The boy in the back wore a look of confusion. The spokesman banged sharply on the window as I rolled it up. Hmm. His words, full of anger, echo in my mind even today. Hmm. We can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in. I drove out of the parking lot in blind fear, and I'm surprised I didn't sideswipe a car or two along the way. I stole a quick look in my rearview mirror before peeling out into the night. The boys were gone. Even if they had run, I don't believe there was any place they could have hidden from view that quickly. I write for a few reasons. I'll do it even if I don't get paid to do so. So I wrote down the story of what had happened, more or less as a cathartic exercise, and shared it with a small group of friends on an email list. From there, it got out into the wider internet and grew and grew and grew type my name into google you'll find it soon enough i've been contacted by everyone from korean television stations uh, planning new year's eve shows to regular people who just wanted to talk more interesting to me has been sporadic but more than occasional contact from people who think they may have seen something similar Hmm. some narratives follow the template of my original counter a bit too slavishly and those are easy to dismiss easy to dismiss boy can i not talk (laughs) But others have a more than subtle ring of the same sort of panic and helplessness I felt. Hmm. Similar experiences have been now in places from suburban neighborhoods to your standard dark alleys throughout the country, possibly Hmm. beyond. Kids like the ones I saw have allegedly been seen wandering through certain 24-hour big box retailers in the middle of the night and banging on the front doors of numerous witnesses. Are all these accounts true? Unlikely. Are there enough to at least reinforce my belief I encountered something truly strange? Definitely. Since my story leaked out to the wider internet, I've gone through several phases. For a long while, I eagerly answered any and all correspondence about the happening. A few years later, I got tired of answering the same questions over and over and over again, and I read, but largely didn't reply, to inquiries. Hmm. This guy, if I may interject for just sure, a moment, absolutely. sounds a bit like a proto-lon, a little <laughs> kind bit. Kind of. Um, just in the sense that he has the story first puts it out there and then he becomes like the source or like the 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 expert on the source and like people refer to him yeah for like validation or in this case it's something that did happen to him he's not just the one who put it out there yeah fair right right i'm just again from the critic like skeptical perspective of like did he just make this up and then people are like i had weird i'm I'm part of the crew i'm i'm one of the anyway go on yeah um but with age and distance from the event curiosity has had a rebirth so when a television program called Monsters and Mysteries in America gave me a call asking if they could interview me about that long ago night, I said yes. One of the provisions my bosses at the paper made in exchange for me potentially making a fool of myself on TV was for me to tell my story here. And so I have. Do I expect you to believe me blindly? Of course not. I might not believe it myself if I heard such a story from someone else. <laughs> what did I see? Your guess is literally as good as anyone's. Hmm. I've had everything from vampires to demons to ghosts to aliens to a somewhat detailed hallucination posited as possibilities. Mm -hmm. I do feel like I can say this with some authority. This was back in the day when freaky coal black contacts weren't widely available to a couple kids in Abilene, Texas for anything under their small fortune. I mean, um, they're called sclera contacts. They cover your entire, not just your, um, most contact lenses just cover your iris. Um, These like... 
These cover your entire eye. Like the orb. Whole, yeah, the um, the white part of your eye is called the sclera, Ooh. and they do make contacts to cover all of that too. Ooh. And um, they're nowadays they're not so expensive to get. They don't look like they're at all easy to put in. It sounds and, painful as and weird. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I think it would be weirder than putting like I have like I have some um, some fun novelty contacts for Halloween and stuff. I think you, may yeah, have seen you them do. Yes, yeah, they're pretty yes, creepy. Indeed. They're cool. But they're they're just normal. They're and yeah, contacts. They take getting used to to put in, but they're not that bad. But contacts that big would be kind of weird. And for kids that young to right. a have access and b put them in just seems unlikely. It sounds too like well maybe his he just couldn't see it because his brain wasn't ready for it. But like the conversation starts and they seem like normal kids, and then suddenly it's like oh shit their eyes are totally black. But maybe he just didn't realize that until that's the, that's an interesting part too like it, it's hard to tell and with other stories of the same kind of sort like people don't notice the eyes till later on in the conversation it's just weird to me because i feel like that's one of the first places you look and if i saw yeah, someone oh with yeah. coal black eyes i feel like <laughs> i would be like oh Holy hey that's not normal shit yeah <laughs> exactly so it's something to do with like just either it's always at nighttime so it's hard mm-hmm. to tell if or not mm-hmm. always but pretty much always at nighttime mm-hmm. i don't know but i'll, I'll finish his story yeah, fair we, enough yeah uh, please please go on Let's see. So, yeah. And there wasn't enough time to even put such things on in the short time I broke the spokesman's gaze. If they could oh, afford them. Okay. So, yeah. That, so that would suggest that they, their eyes were normal until he was about to leave. And then suddenly their eyes were black. Ooh. So, that's kind of interesting. That's cool. Will I ever know that for certain what I saw? Probably not. <laughs> Do I ever care to see them again? Hell no. <laughs> as much as I still don't know what, about what happened that night and why, here's one thing that I do know. It's a gut feeling, but one that rises to a level of almost certainty. If I had given the spokesman and his friend a ride on that long ago evening, I don't think I would be here to type this now. End of story. So that is Brian Bethel's account of his first encounter with what are now known as black-eyed children Ooh. or black-eyed kids mm-hmm. or abbreviated sometimes to B-E-Ks, <laughs> which I just think is silly. Bex. Bex. Are you really seeing enough black-eyed children that you need to, like, abbreviate? Yeah. It takes too long to I'm say so all those words. I'm tired of saying black-eyed children. Every single day. All the hours of my yeah, life I've exactly. wasted saying black-eyed children. How many times do I need to tell them Mortal Kombat is not in theaters anymore? <laughs> it hasn't been for more than 20 years. <laughs> um, so that's the original, like, that's the first major sighting that was reported. Either right. that's where it all began or that it's where... You know, widespread attention to it all began. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Bethel says, a lot of other people started reporting seeing these creepy little bastards afterward. Some key features of these reports that are just worth noting. Um, obviously, the main things that they always have completely black eyes, pupil, iris, mm-hmm. and sclera. That's kind of their whole thing is having black eyes. <laughs> Most of the time, there are two of them. Uh, they huh. approach either a person's car or their front door and ask to be let in for one reason or another. They need to use the phone, they need to use the bathroom, they need to get call their parents. For some reason, they want to be let into whatever the place is. Right, right. In many cases, the phrasing is such that they aren't just looking to come in, but asking to be given permission to come in. Mm-hmm. When seen anywhere other than uh, when they're trying to gain entrance to a house or a car, like so if you just like if they're not trying to get into your, your house, if you just happen to be like, driving around and you happen to see them or you walk by, um, just seeing them in passing... They will stop whatever they're doing to stare at the witness. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the teller of the story is always struck by an overwhelming feeling of terror, dread, panic, or some combination thereof. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> thinking of the different possible pairings and things. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, this fear is a little more panic this time. <laughs> so less terror. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it was like forty percent terror, like twenty percent dread. Right. Um, <laughs> Uh, this fear results in their not acquiescing to the children's request. It is thus presumed that only those who don't let the kids in live to tell the tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, once the teller of the story has refused the kids' entry, the kids disappear. Hmm. Some of the stories stick, as Bethel says, a bit too close to his own, saying that, say, one of the two does all the talking while the other remains silent, right. uh, even if they're both wearing hoodies, etc. Just like details that are just too much like his story. Clearly so, like knockoffs. Yeah, like- so he dismisses those as well. Um outside of this is just his retelling of the story i've seen other just like interviews with him things that he he is kind of skeptical about the idea of this Hmm. being a widespread phenomenon right thinks it's weird people have had similar accounts but he just in general things like i know something weird happened to me i don't think it's a thing necessarily so that's his 
general take it seems like right um the stories have either all taken place since bethel's or have just been told since then while referring to encounters from a while back Mm -hmm. so possibly people retconning a story that they have of a weird thing like oh wait i think they had black eyes too yeah Yeah, they're asking to come in it was weird right right uh one kind of fun account came from coast to coast from a guy named richard in monterey california this is a quick little story that i thought was yeah please please uh, on an evening in 1981, just after a rainstorm, Richard and a friend of his were driving a couple of girls around town and decided that they wanted to scare them because they were very cool guys. <laughs> oh, yeah, this will be so cool. We're going to be such a fun thing we'll to do. We'll prove our worth by terrifying these girls. We're such brave, strong men. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they drove into San Carlos Cemetery, which includes a lot of crypts and other such above-ground structures. Uh, at the end of a narrow lane they were in, they could see a pair of feet sticking out of a crypt. Then, right there in the headlights, a little girl sat up, stood up, turned to them, and pointed at them. While they looked on in amazement, she started walking towards them. And then she started screaming. Oh, no. (laughs) So Richard's friend immediately put the car in reverse and started backing away, only to instantly slam into a crypt. Oh, no. So he started trying to execute a bazillion point turn to get the hell out of there. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, while all the while the little girl was slowly getting closer oh, she got close enough that richard was able to make out very specific details about her appearance i didn't write them down here is too many just like little specific things but just right. specific enough is like okay i kind of believe that some you saw something or at least are trying hard to tell about it but right uh, right right particular things he noticed were her long straight black hair uh while she was p- just pointing at his friend before they sped away Ooh. as for her face quote her face was pale white and you could see the eyeballs they're as black as black could be. Man. So, yeah. I realize the story doesn't quite fit the uh, overall, like, the, the MO of black-eyed kids, but no, I saw it sure. a few weeks ago and wanted an excuse to include it but at some I mean, point. But, I mean, hey, who, who's to say what the black-eyed kids choose to do? Yeah, sometimes maybe they hang out in cemeteries. Sometimes they do that. Maybe they, yeah, they do the little walk and, and scream thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just give a quick walk and scream. Um, <laughs> they do, like, one of the things that they do is apparently if you catch them outside of their context of them trying to get into wherever you are, yeah. they will just stare at you. In this case, maybe also point, maybe also scream oh my god that's creepy a lot of the different things people try to explain them as like oh you know maybe they're aliens maybe they're such and such like just different things some just so some interesting details i like that, about them that uh oh go ahead go very ahead. quickly the girl story though is very reminiscent of the uh, invasion of the body snatchers oh yeah <laughs> kind of thing exactly that <laughs> uh i have to go run away now <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. no, that, that's a good. Yeah, that's a good point. So that could lean more in the alien direction. It's kind of it's a combination of like alien kind of um, tropes and also being in a cemetery and stuff. So it's, it's all of it at once. It's right? all the creepy stuff you could it's possibly like, want in a single story. It's hard to say whether it. Yeah, did this happen or is this just like convenient story? To be fully transparent, I found it on phantomsandmonsters.com. God damn it! <laughs> I always go because, well, because I check it every day to see if there's any stuff to of do course, with Chicago. No, but, I, um, I, I mean only was, to laugh. I'm not trying to. Yeah, this was on, you. and it came, and he gets his. He just he's always scouring the internet as a whole for creepy stories. Mm-hmm. This came from coast to coast. I assume that means the radio show coast to coast. AM. Yeah, me too. Um, and this was on Halloween, so I'm assuming people are just calling in to say, oh, it's a scary story that happened to oh, me. Oh, of course, of course. Um, I, I just mean the per- the original teller of the tale. That's I what mean. I'm saying. If they were yeah. calling in on Halloween, who yeah. knows how much embellishment mm, they were adding. Yeah, exactly. True, 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 true. So, yeah. But so interesting details I like about the stories. Yes, please, um, they, please. Now, whether or not they're following Brian's original account or whether his account is just part of a general pattern that happens other places, I don't know. Right. But... um. So, obviously, the eyes are a standout feature, but they're not the most interesting thing about these reports, to me, mm-hmm. anyway. I mean, the mm-hmm. eyes are certainly the creepy, like, oh, that's... That's, that's your uh, marquee feature. But, yes. Yeah. But as far as the other little specific things that make these stories so cool, um, the idea of, like, powers of persuasion slash just a general kind of talking style very unlike a child's. Mm-hmm. There's something very specifically unnerving about a smooth-talking little kid trying to convince you to do something and a cadence more suited to an adult. Yeah, true. A kid asking for something, usually you think, like, especially at a younger age, would run the gamut from like polite request to whiny begging. But right, right. I mean, persuasion isn't something that you really think younger kids are capable of. You have to learn that over time. Right. It's possible that this particular aspect of Bethel's story is so attention-grabbing for this particular reason, thus making it something people decided to run with purely because of what a creepy scene it helps set. I mean, just think, oh, that's such a creepy, creepy aspect of the story. Yeah, that'd be cool to have that in, 
in another story or maybe i don't know but that's mm-hmm. that's something that makes it extra creepy like kids not quite acting like kids that's always a creepy mm-hmm. trope mm-hmm. and then the idea of invitation that's my favorite part i think mm-hmm. the children are not just asking to come in they're asking to be allowed to come in mm-hmm. and that particular like um that that difference is what i find so much fun uh, this has led a lot of people to say, oh, vampires. Yeah, uh, right. But this particular tidbit comes from way further back and applies to far more than just vampires. Oh, interesting. So I l- looked around for a while. A lot of the forums and websites that I went through looking for the origin of this invitation rule mm-hmm. all just vaguely referred to folklore. But I was able to find some more specific examples of entities who require an invitation before entering a home. Mm-hmm. So vampires were a much later addition, I think think in Bram Stoker's Dracula he did have to be invited into places I don't possibly. recall I, I don't, don't know I don't remember either but I know that that is a vampire lore you know feature yes it's it's really really common nowadays in a lot of like more pop stuff like modern takes on vampires right but I think that was one of the first examples of a vampire story that involved that particular idea I see uh, was Dracula which is you know the, the big one <laughs> there may have been some before that I, big I saw G. I just, yeah. <laughs> Drac in the house yeah <laughs> Uh, sometimes, so sometimes the idea of having to be invited in before being allowed in is also true for certain types of ghosts in some stories, mm-hmm. as well as like witches and things. So just like mm. any kind of semi evil entity can't get in unless you invite it in in some way. Right. And I think it also kind of ties in like some of the different Ouija board stories, like oh you've invited a presence into your house and now it's going to stay. Yeah. Um, right. So what different things you can do? Like it may not be as simple as saying oh hey come on in. Or um, like, like different things can be interpreted by the entity as an invitation in, um, and so that has resulted in hauntings or in possessions or in whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all comes from the same rule. Uh, demons of all sorts most commonly followed this rule, starting at least a few hundred years ago, hmm. and are probably the inspiration for applying the same rule to vampires. So I think demons really are the origin for this particular. Yeah, way things work. Like, oh, if you invite a demon into your home, into your life, then it can come in. So it goes back again to the possessions and stuff. But this right. goes a far, like, way, way back. The first, one of the earlier, like, at least famous accounts I could find was, um, yeah, Mephistopheles, the demon, in mm. Goethe's Faust, hmm. which I think was um, published in 1808. Okay. So, yeah, the whole, um, yeah, that, that particular story, Faust, like, that was um, a demon who could not come in unless invited in. Right. So here you have a story of a weird encounter with some weird kids and some really cool little idioms or tropes or just like things that work really well in different types of creepy stories, Mm -hmm. both present in this one story that make it that much creepier. Mm. And so... I mean, I yeah. When I first heard the story, I was like, "Oh, it's such a creepy, cool thing!" Like, I'm so curious what that is and what's happening. Um, over time, I started to think, "Okay, it seems like it's just Brian Bethel who had this one encounter. He is the go-to source. He's the point guy for all of this." Right, right. So it could be that he. I don't. I mean, again, I don't usually want to dismiss people's stories saying, "Oh, they just made the whole thing up." No, of especially course. when he's doing so much press on it, especially in his own newspaper. He doesn't want to get fired from his job for making shit up. Right. So, um, I think. He had a weird encounter with some weird kids. Mm-hmm. I don't know about their eyes being all black. That's, I mean, if they were wearing hoods, it'd be hard to see their eyes. It could just be that, like, in the lighting, he wasn't really seeing, wasn't able to see their faces very well. And then, I mean, when the change happened, when suddenly their eyes were supposed to be black, maybe suddenly he could see just like the reflection of, like, you know, the kind of wetness of the shape of an eye, right. but still couldn't see enough detail to by, see color or light or whatever. By his own telling, though, he describes himself as being very freaked out before he sees anything weird as well so he's already kind he's of he's already kind of in that space where you're just like yeah. <gasps> anything anything at all is happening and Which, like i mean it does kind of also raise the question why would you be so scared if some kids approach you yeah i mean so but like who that, knows? that's like the creepy like people saying oh they have like part of it is like, Give oh, off they, like a bad vibe yeah or like the you know they are like some the people say oh they ha- they are evil so they'll make you feel this horrible sense right. of terror and that they have a means, like the persuasion extends almost to a certain <laughs> level of hypnosis. I and he well, broke, like he, because he said he was reaching for the lock of the door without even realizing. And it. I was, like, was Wait like, a minute. holy, like, no, no, no. Yeah, he, yeah. When he saw his hand, he looked. He broke like contact, eye contact with uh, them. Look at his hand, and then suddenly it was like, no, I'm not going to oh, unlock the door. What this all makes me really want to hear about is any kind of account where someone has fallen for it. 
Yeah. Because if they are that persuasive, why don't we hear more about like... And that's why people say, oh, we don't hear those stories because those people don't live to tell the yeah, tale. Yeah, right. I did see one thing one time when I was looking this up just for fun a few months ago when we were still kind of developing the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I think the headline was, I let some black-eyed children into my house and now I think I'm dying. I was like, well, huh. <laughs> this woman who she... The story was she let them in like they were at her door and they said they needed to come in to call their parents. Their parents were on the way. Um, and they need to let them know where they were so they could be picked up or some kind of weird thing like that. Yep. And she was really hesitant and they seemed weird, but she ended up letting them in. And then some just weird shit happened. Like the, once they were inside, suddenly like, the power went out. Oh. And I think the, the parents did arrive of oh. these black eyed children. And they were even weirder in some ways. And they, they also had black eyes. And they were what? just like, just things were like, there's some kind of, I, 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 wish I should have found that one again because like it was a deal where the power went out, the whole house was dark suddenly. There's like I don't know if there's a like, she could like see them like one of them down the hallway at one point. It's just weird, weird shit happens. Spooky as fuck, terrifying. Dude. Oh and my then, god! And then they did leave, but then she's like now has like terminal cancer and like so many weird things happened since then that just yeah. seemed like, like her life like fell apart after that oh, night. I want to hear that story. Yeah, Holy I'll, shit. Uh, I'll have to find oh, that one. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll just tell that in like a, a in the intro of next time. Yeah, just like a, a little sequel. <laughs> sequel. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um back to <laughs> yes back in business the beckoning the beckoning hey, oh there damn you go. usually adding the something ending doesn't like, do it for a sequel it makes it silly but in that case it actually grammatically makes sense you well, could how- just call it the black eyed children ending <laughs> yes the children ending i like it a lot <laughs> um yeah so i'll try and find that story for next time maybe to just uh all right yeah just, just, like kind of fill in a the details fun, of what, uh, it's still kind of do where like if someone say oh i like black eyed children now i'm dying oh no like, it yeah, seems right. a little too dramatic but it's still a scary enough story it'd be interesting it's to hear fun enough to hear and if it's if it's yeah told if she's seems legit i'd be into it yes but uh, yeah, if you if you have some weird kids knock at your door at <laughs> night or something, like yeah, you know, that's uh, creepy. It's it's just it's the weird. It like, that's the fun aspect of it. It's like if kids are asking for your help, you're gonna like you want to help them. But at the same time, if strangers are wanting to get into your house, you don't want to help them. It's yeah, like it's it does weird... kind of uh, subverts that social contract or yeah. two kinds at the same time. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's interesting. That's really creepy. Mm-hmm. I would hope to hear more on that if things come about. I'll try under- to keep my eyes peeled for just more <laughs> stories of. Uh, well, my, I'll keep my Careful. eyes black and peeled <laughs> for more stories coming up. Excuse me, more stories of mm-hmm. black-eyed children encounters. Um, mm-hmm. So much of what's on the internet now is just. That's the downside to trying to find the stuff you and I like to look for. Right. Is running into the risk of it just being all creepy pasta. Because there's, <laughs> it's there's so much creepypasta. I you know I found out recently the origin of the name creepypasta. What does it come from? It's uh it's supposed to be come from like the idea of like a co- a, I think a copy paste, uh, like copy paste story. People like putting in different forms. Like oh here's a story and they copying and pasting to a different forum, and calling it copy paste to co- so copy pasta. Uh, and then the creepy version of copy pasta is creepy pasta. Creepy pasta, I yeah. see. So like so copy like, and paste creepy pasta. So like original copy paste, then like just kind of changing the spelling a little bit, and then changing the pronunciation just to meme, match the spelling. Memifying, yes, into yeah what so, it is now. So that's the origin of creepy pasta. Evolution on the internet. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Creepy pasta. All right, but it's using that term to say clearly fake stories yeah creepypasta refers to just scary stories people tell on the internet basically the modern urban legend but often it's even more deliberately just like fictitious s- for stories to tell yourself in the dark kind of thing exactly, yeah yeah yes. yeah right wherever you want that nugget of actual first person experience or yeah. provable or disprovable phenomena yeah so anything recent i found has been has fallen into that category yeah, i struggled to find a good story for this week for that same reason same sure. reason yeah, yeah a lot of it was like just clearly like oh that's dumb yeah. like oh you know mr boogeyman <laughs> we'll save that for like a year from now when i'm super desperate for stories <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> at the very least for another halloween episode it's like oh just yeah there scary you go story. yeah just fun scary yeah. scary tales it's true but yeah there's some there's some well, how did i word the problem against some supernatural entities with ill will <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly there you have it and uh thank you guys for listening hopefully we spooked you as much as we got spooked looking these up and uh yeah we'll be back next week actually back next week this yeah, time for real and uh feel free to um to rate us on itunes Please and do. Uh, and leave a Please review spread there the word. and uh what was the other thing i wanted to- oh yeah if you have any 
uh, creepy stories of your own, feel free to sh- send them to us at contact at you uh, contact at UNH. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm so used to all my stuff being UNH, but contact at superduperstitious.com. Or you can tweet us at superduperstitch. Or uh, hit us up on Facebook. Yeah. Um, Facebook.com slash superduperstitious. And uh, yeah, we'd be very excited to delve into any stories you guys are particularly interested in hearing about as well. Definitely. So, yeah. Until next week, thanks for listening. And uh, see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.